Welcome, good to see you here at our End Time Truths teaching series. And um, last Sunday we kicked off with the message, Jesus is coming soon. How many were here for that last week? Oh, quite, quite a few of you. Don't forget that if you miss a Sunday, it's always there for you on the internet, on our media um, part of our kt.org. And if you go to kt.org and go to the media section, you can go down to where it says series. And when you press on that series after today, you'll be able to see all of the end time truths, uh, different teachings as they build up. And you can do that with all of the five o'clock teaching services. We did a uh, a long series on the Sermon on the on the Mount recently, so um, you can have a look at that, and that's all in order. Also, what happens to you when you die, after you die? We looked at what happens when we die. Where do, we looked at hell and heaven, and we finished that series if, with Robert Sled and talking about his experience as a young boy, ex- having a heavenly experience. All those are in order as well on the series. So, that's there for you. We want to welcome also those of you that are watching uh, on our webcast right now live, and also those of you that I know uh, always watch the five o'clock service later on during the week. It's great to have you uh, with us for this teaching as well. Well, last week we did look at the theme of the soon coming King, and uh, I was teaching about the fact that, especially in the early church and the New Testament church, really did believe that Jesus was coming soon. It wasn't just that Jesus was coming. Uh, Most Christians believe that Jesus is coming. But the early church believed that Jesus was coming soon. And at the end of the book of Revelations, the last chapter of the book of Revelations, the last chapter of the Bible, we see three times Jesus saying, behold, I'm coming soon. And then the response right at the end of of Revelation is, yeah, come Lord, come quickly, come soon. We looked at some of Jesus' parables, and uh, in Jesus' parables, there is a note of being ready that... uh, The church should be awake, and tonight at the revival service, I'm going to be speaking on awakening the slumbering church and the midnight cry. So I'll be taking some of the themes of last five o'clock service and ministering them in a prophetic way. We are taking the seven o'clock service further in the coming uh, months. Uh, We're going to be doing a lot, releasing a lot more of the ministry team. We're going to be getting the the, uh, prophets together where we've been training and raising prophets over the last year or so. We're going to bring them into the service. Uh, We're also going to be uh, starting an evangelistic outreach team on Sunday afternoons, and they're going to go out on the streets and bring people into the revival service at 7 o'clock and give testimonies at the 7 o'clock about what's happened on the streets. So there's going to be a stronger prophetic and evangelistic element on the Sunday evening services as we're going through the next few weeks. Those of you that come uh, will notice that. And Jesus' parables, like the ten virgins, were talking about being ready because no one knows when the Son of Man is going to come or when the Master is coming back. So Jesus' teaching had a very strong element of get ready, Jesus is coming soon. Uh, Some people have said, well, 
He's taken his time about it, 2,000 years. Doesn't seem very soon. But you see, you've got to understand, if it was soon then, how much sooner is it today? And also, wherever the Holy Spirit is poured out in reviving power, there is a corresponding awakening of the church's expectation of the return of Jesus. I mean, the defining sermon of the birthday of the church in Acts chapter 2, where it says, when, when I will pour out my spirit or my handmaidens will prophesy, it also talks about the fact that Jesus is returning, the great day of the Lord. So the sermon on Pentecost spoke about salvation, spoke about the prophetic outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and spoke about the returning of Jesus. James and Peter, all these, and Paul, all of them are saying, you know, the time is at hand. Jesus is coming soon. Uh, the day, the night is nearly finished. The day is about to begin. And so last week we were looking at the importance, and I believe that God is wishing to awaken His church. I believe the church is in a deep sleep. And the thing is, when you're in a deep sleep, you're living, you're living in a dreamland, but you don't realize that you're dreaming. Most of the church in Great Britain, and I include us in it, is are sleepwalking in a dream that's not real. But the midnight cry is coming that the bridegroom is coming, and it's going to awaken us up to see things not as we would like them to be, but to see things as they really are. But that's for later this evening. Today, I want to talk about how we can see that we are coming into the end times. Sometimes you hear phrases like the rapture of the church. We'll be looking at that next week and the week after. Also, you may hear people speak about the tribulation, that there's going to be a period of tribulation just before the return of the Lord, and we'll be looking at that next week. But today, I want to show you how we know that we are getting closer and closer to the end of the end times, the rapture, the, the, the uh, tribulation, and the return of Jesus. And so, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. And I'm going to read a good passage here because it sets out the end times in, in a very powerful way. And then I'm going to compare this with some of the things that Revelation teaches us. So, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3, the signs of the times and the end of the age. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? He's just been speaking about the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. 
and many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who's on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those that are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight might not be in the winter or the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor will ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Therefore, if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcass is there, the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. So here in this passage in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 9, and if you're making notes, you can see this passage also in Mark chapter 13 verse 5 following. Mark chapter 13 verse 5 is a parallel passage of, of this Matthew 24 verse 9. And you can see uh, that the disciples have just been told by Jesus that the temple of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed in A.D. 70. But also, one of the questions that they're asking, and this is where I'm focusing on at least today, is when is the sign of your coming? And Jesus gives a description of the end times, and talks about various things which are going to take place and uses them as signs for us so that we can understand what time we are in and how close we are. Nobody, of course, knows what the day or the hour when Jesus is coming, but we can discern the season that we're in. Now, one of the, the key verses here to understanding this passage is verse 8. So if you look at verse 8 goes through these things and says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Can you see that? All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Does anybody have some other translation like birth pangs? Birth pangs or birth pains? It's the birth pains. Anybody else got anything else? Birth pains? Who's got birth pains or birth pangs? Wave at me. Okay, who's got sorrows? 
Okay, who's got nothing? <laughs> All right. Um, but, and that word, birth pains or birth pangs, is really, really important because that's what the Greek says, okay? So I want you to make a note of that. Birth pains. All these are the beginning of birth pains, not sorrows. Now you say, why is that important? Because this is a description of an age and things that are going to happen and will continue to happen in greater uh, increasing uh, intensity until the final end of the end times when tribulation comes and Jesus returns. Did you notice quite a few times the word tribulation was used there? And that certain things will take place and then the tribulation will come. Well, when will tribulation take place? When will the time of tribulation take place? We'll look at that next week. Um, the Bible teaches us that just before the return of the Lord, there will be a great tribulation. And God will bring tribulation to the earth. It will be a judging, shaking work of God on the earth that will bring things to a head before Jesus returns. But what Jesus is saying is, look, you can tell when you're getting near to that tribulation because certain things have to happen before that tribulation comes. And I call this the age of the birth pains. And we are in what I'm calling the age of the birth pangs or the age of the birth pains. We are in the age of the birth pains. And I want to explain that to you today. And we are not just in the age of the birth pains, but I believe we are right at the end of this period of time, the end of the birth pains, the end of the birth pangs, and that, that very, very, very soon we're going to enter into these final revealing of the Antichrist, the tribulation, the return of Jesus, the rapture, that these are going to take place very, very soon. Now, why would he use the phrase, these things are the beginnings, the beginning of the birth pains, the beginning of the, sor of, the, of the sorrows in some translations. Well, when we go through uh, some of these um, signs of the times, we're going to see that the coming of Jesus is symbolized in, in that verse as like a birthing process, a birthing process. I suppose in modern English, more medical terms, we could say these are the beginning of the contractions. Anybody ever had a baby here? Anyone had a, have a child? Well, the picture I want you to have as we go through things today is that the return of Jesus is a little bit like the birthing of a child, all right? And we're going to see that in this time of the birth pangs or time of the birth contractions, that what happens, as you know, if you've ever been involved in the, in the birth of a child, that you begin to get contractions, and to begin with, they're few and far between, isn't it? You just feel that contract. It's the beginning of a period that's going to lead you into the actual birthing of the child, but to begin with, those contractions are not as powerful as they're going to be in intensity, are they? And they're not as frequent as they will be. The closer you get to birth, ladies, the contractions get stronger and they get more frequent until you get to the place where the hospital says, with that intensity and that frequency, the baby's just about to be born, come into the hospital, don't they? 
Am I correct? It's been, it's been, it's been 15 years since, uh, well, it's been 11 years since my last was born, and um, it all sort of like just blurs in my mind. But that's, now this is exactly what Jesus is saying that the end times are going to be like. Certain things we're going to see in history, and we have seen in history, and they're like contractions. And throughout the history from the period of Jesus today, we see these contractions that are going to bring about the birthing process of the second coming. And there'll be some strong contractions throughout history. But as we get nearer the end times, these birth pains, birth pangs, beginning of sorrows, birth contractions, what we'll see in history and the earth, we'll see that these will get stronger and more powerful in their manifestation and more frequently, okay? So as we go through this together, I want you to think, Bruce is saying that the end times, I thought I got raptured then. If you just saw on the screen, I just got raptured. But then the Lord sent me back down again to finish the message. Try and keep me in frame, please, up there. It's not like I'm running around. The birth pangs, the contractions in history of some of these things that we're going to see. And as they get strong, and I'll show you, and we'll see how strong they're going to get, it shows us that we are just about, at any moment now, about to enter into the end of the end times that were held in the coming of Jesus. Now, what we're going to do now is I've got two Bibles on my uh, preaching podium today because we're going to do a comparison. You probably only brought one Bible with you today, so you might need to keep your bookmark or your finger in Matthew chapter 24, and you like, and while you keep yourself there, we're going to be turning now to Revelation chapter 6. Because what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 24 can be compared with what's going on in Revelation chapter 6. The same things are being described, okay? So what Jesus is talking about, the signs of the end times... In Matthew chapter 24, we see those same signs are going to be found in Revelation chapter 6. So we're going to do a comparison. So we're going to be flicking backwards and forwards, and this is going to help us. Now, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6, but before we go there, I want to explain that we are about to look together at seven seals. In the book of Revelation... In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose it its seals? So what you see, and if you're trying to understand the book of Revelation, and, and, you know, if you can understand it, you're a better man than I. But if you want to look at the book of Re Re Revelation and begin to understand it, you can pick up certain themes that go throughout the book of Revelation. And one of the themes is seven. And here we have read in chapter 5 that there were seven seals that were given. And in those seals is prophetic revelation. And they're saying, well, who can open these seals to find out what's going to happen? The seven seals. The seven seals describe the age of the birth pangs that I'm talking about, all right? So the birth pangs or the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of contractions, 
That is what the seven seals is talking about. Do you hear what I'm saying? So we're going to look at the seven seals and say, hey, that's exactly the beginning of the birth pangs that Jesus was speaking about in Matthew chapter 24. And when you go through the book of Revelations, you find that there's other, there's other sevens that come. You have the seven seals. But later on, in the uh, book of Revelation, in verse in chapter 8, sorry, you have the seven trumpets. And then later on, in Revelation, oops, let me just find it. Chapter 16, you have seven bowls. All right? And we will, we'll look at those later on in the series. And when you look at the book of Revelation, you have the seven seals. You have the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. And each of these release certain things into the earth. And each of these sevens gets stronger and more intensive. So we're going to look at the seven seals, which is the age of the birth pangs that Jesus is talking about. But when you move to the seven trumpets you find that the judgments that come onto the earth are a lot stronger, more, um, more supernatural and powerful than anything that comes in the seven scrolls. The seven trumpets, uh, you can read it later, are very powerful in what they bring to the earth. But even the seven trumpets, in all their power and the things that they bring to the earth during the tribulation, are nothing compared to what happens when the seven bowls are poured out just before the return of Jesus. So we see there is an increasing intensity, the seals that we're looking at today, and then moves on to the trumpets, and then moves on to the bowls. There's a progression of intensity in God dealing with the world, both in his mercy and his judgment, right up until the return of Jesus. But we're not going to be looking at the trumpets today, and we're not going to be looking at the bowls today, but I wanted you to see there is a progression. Seals, seven. Trumpets, seven. Bowls, seven. Return of Jesus, okay? So let's go back and let's begin to compare these seven seals um, with what Jesus was speaking about in Matthew chapter 24. Because we right now are in the age of the seven seals. That's where we are right now in Revelation chapter 6. We are in the age of the seven seals, and we're right at the end of that age. Remember, the seven seals is the same period as the beginning of birth pains, but we are at the end, I believe, of the age of the seven seals. And I'm going to explain that now. Okay. Seal number one. Revelation chapter six, verse one. Now, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering 
and to conquer. Conquering and to conquer. Remember, these seals are taking place before the great tribulation. Verse 8 of Matthew 24, remember, all these things are the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. So the birth pains come first, then you'll come into the age of tribulation. So this is the first sign that we're giving of the age of the birth pains or the age of the seven trumpets that we're in. So what does this mean? What is this white horse? What does it represent? Well, we see in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, that Jesus says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. This first seal is talking about the preaching of the gospel to all nations that I've just read there in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Before the return of Jesus, every tribe and every nation will have heard the gospel clearly. That's not saying that every tribe and every nation will totally come to the Lord, but there will have been a witness to every tribe and every nation in the world. In fact, this point has been um, one of the major um, encouragements to world missions over the centuries, especially in the great uh, missionary times of the 1800s. When uh, great missions reread this, they said, you know what? Before Jesus can return, the gospel's got to be preached to all nations. And this came the doctrine of the hastening of the Lord. Has anybody ever heard that phrase? The hastening of the Lord. Well, what do you mean, the doctrine of the hastening of the Lord? Well, the doctrine of the hastening of the Lord is just this. Jesus is not going to return until we preach the gospel to every tribe and every nation. So let's get off our seats and get the gospel to every tribe and nation, because if we do that, we can quicken or hasten the coming of the Lord. You know, the gospel went to Africa because some of the great European um, missionaries went to Africa, and the reason they went there was Jesus can't come back until Africa hears the gospel. So one of the main reasons they went there was not just to preach the gospel, but to bring Jesus back. They said, this is what Jesus had told us. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he's not going to come back until we've done what he's told us to do. And so a great missionary fervor took place. You think of some of these great missionary societies and the Bible society. And, uh, and what drove these men and women to do great works of translation? You know how, how the Bible is, be, is even today being translated into every tongue and every tribe? I mean, every obscure, tiny dialect from all over the world, and the Bible society and, society and other translating societies are trying to get the Bible into every language possible. Well, why? Why not just go around and teach everybody to, teach, to speak English or Chinese or French and just say, hey, you want the Bible? Learn English. Because of this desire that was put into those societies when they were first created to get the gospel out to every tribe and tongue because then the Lord will come back. And we know that this is 
the parallel to what we've seen with this white horse because you say, well, how do you know, Bruce, that this is talking about the gospel when it's speaking about this white horse? Well, when you study the book of Revelation and the apocalyptic literature, you get to understand that different colors and, and, and different symbols convey different truths. And I don't need to convince you today that the color white is God's color. And so when you go through the book of um, Revelations, the appearance of Jesus, what color is his hair when he comes? White. It's not because he's old. It's not because he hasn't found my dye yet that I use. It's the brilliance of the color. You hear what I'm saying? Because white is pure. We know that those that have overcome in the message to those churches, one of the rewards of, of an overcoming church is that you'll get a white stone with a new name. White garments are given to the martyrs. The 24 elders are dressed in, in, in white. Jesus sits at the end of days on a white throne. So uh, Jesus rides on a white horse. And so white is the symbol of God. And so when we look, behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had, had a, a bow. A bow is symbolic of victory. Sometimes in the Psalms it talks about the bow being a symbol of somebody's strength. So a bow is a symbol of victory. A crown, of course, is a symbol of kingship. And he went out to conquer. And that is a picture of the gospel being proclaimed and preaching. This is an effective witness. Now, remember what I said, that this age of the seven seals is also the age of the birth pangs. And what I said right at the beginning was this, is that the age of the birth pangs, or the age of the seven seals, gets more and more intense over the centuries. And then the tribulation period will come. And so if we take this first um, seal about the gospel being preached, we can see that the gospel was preached from the day of Pentecost. And 5,000 people got saved in one day. And over the centuries, many revivals have taken place, and, and the gospel has progressed all the way around the world. But, you know, over the last hundred years, the preaching of the gospel, more people, get, more people get the gospel preached to them right now, because of the population and everything, in a year than in hundreds of years right at the beginning of Christianity. Do you hear what I'm saying? The, the, the outpouring of the Pentecostal revival, the gospel is literally going all the way around the world. Um, hundreds of thousands of people are getting saved every day. You can't compare the power and the preaching and the release of the gospel today with those early days. As I said, the last hundred years has been the greatest move of missionary and gospel preaching throughout church history. You might say, well, it doesn't feel like that in backslidden Europe. We'll go to on-fire China or go to South America where 50 years ago in certain nations like Brazil, very few people were saved. And then God sent his gospel and 
revival to these revival hotspots and hundreds and thousands and millions of people have got saved. So you can see throughout history the revival moves and the moves of the gospel that right now the intensity of the preaching of the gospel is as great as it's ever been. And revivals have come in the past and they've gone. I mean, you can get hold of my book on British revivals called Land of Hope and Glory for just three pounds. And that goes through the beginnings of the gospel when it first came to Great Britain. And then I choose some of the major revivals through history. And we look at those. Now, a revival comes because it's needed. And when you look at the history of revivals, and I looked at them in Britain, you see that it comes a bit like waves on a shore. A wave, you know, when the tide comes in, a wave comes in, but then it withdraws a bit, doesn't it? And then it comes in a little bit further, and it withdraws a bit. Well, this is exactly the story of revivals. And this is also another picture of the birth pains, isn't it? The birth pains, the contractions, you get a contraction and there's a revival or a move of God in history. But then that cr contraction stops and there's a gap. And then another contraction comes and perhaps that's a bit stronger. Or a series of contractions, a series of revivals come and hit the world and then it recedes. It's a picture like the ocean coming in. It recedes, it comes in further. And this picture of the ocean tide coming in that will bring in the coming of the Lord is another uh, good example of what we're trying to talk about here. But let's go to the second seal. <clears throat> Verse 3 of Revelation 6. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see another horse, fiery wet red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. Seal number two, we see in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6 and 7, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So that is the picture of the red horse that we've just read about, seal two, that war will come on the earth. Now, the history of the fallen world, there's always been wars, hasn't there? But remember what I said. When we're looking at the age of the seals or the beginning of sorrows or the birth pangs, what we're looking at is contractions as if a woman is in labor or becoming close to labor. And the, and, and the characteristic is those contractions get more frequent and more intense. I'm not here to give you a big history lesson. I don't think I could anyway. But um, you can look at the history of wars. All types of wars and horrible wars have taken place since the time of Christ, but nothing like we've had in the last, well, less than a hundred years. Nothing like that. I mean, you think about World War I and World War II. Well, you could go back to make perhaps something like the Napoleonic Wars, because before the Napoleonic Wars, in many ways, those wars would be reasonably localized and would be fought, 
in pitched battles between armed combatants. But at the time of the Napoleonic Wars, the whole of Europe was ravaged. Do you know that? Not, not just armies against armies, but Napoleon had this burnt earth philosophy where his soldiers just ate off the land as they went and, and devastated the countries that they went through, left people starving in places like Spain and right through to, to, to Russia. And the whole of Europe was in a terrible state. And I don't get too into history. But that was like nothing that had ever happened before. But then when you come to World War I, and the millions and millions of people that died in that conflict, the war to end all wars. What a contraction that was. What a manifestation of this red horse that was, World War I. And when World War I finished, they said, that's it. We have learned our lesson in 1918. We have learned our lesson. By 1938, the world was at it again. That contraction, remember what I said? More intense and more frequent. The contraction of World War I, a war that never could be imagined. Then uh, only a few short decades next, a huge contraction, World War II, that ended up with a bomb that could flatten cities, the atomic bomb. Can you see? There was nothing like, uh, nothing like that in killing not just soldiers, but innocent bystanders all the way around the world. And you say, oh, well, yeah, well, that'll never happen again. Don't you believe it? Remember, the contraction takes place and withdraws. The tide comes in a bit further or a lot further with those world wars. And what does it do? It backs off a bit and people go peace and safety. So we have seen that when it comes to wars, throughout the history of wars, that in the last less than 100 years, we have seen tremendous, almighty contractions. And I've heard people say that actually wars have increased in their intensity recently. Maybe not world wars, but I heard someone say, and I can't verify it, but, you know, it's an interesting thing to think about, is that more wars and conflicts are taking place all over the world in different places in localized events than, uh, than before. And of course, we're in an age of fear, aren't we? Where war is now a war that can be terror. Where something like 9-11 can happen, just out of the blue. So there's another picture of the age of birth pangs, of sorrows. That's seal two. Seal three. And when he, in Revelation 6, 5, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a black horse. We've had a white horse, we've got a red horse, and now a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. So what does this represent? Well, you've got the scales, and if we come to Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, just after nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, it says, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And again, the world has always known the fallen world, a famine or a pestilence or an earthquake. But one of the signs that we're coming into the end of the end times 
is an increase in intensity and frequency of these types of um, uh, well famines we're talking about here and 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 pestilences. Verse 6 continues in Revelation 6. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And so we have this type of scarcity. Now, the incredible thing is, is so many millions of people are short of food in the earth. Do you know that? And yet, we have grain mountains, wheat mountains, butter mountains, milk mountains, if there's such a thing. I mean, we pay farmers in Europe not to milk their cows. Do you know that? We pay them not to milk their cows. Why? Because if they milk their cows, milk will become too cheap. Farmers are paid not to farm their land. Why? Because it's all about this scarcity. It's all about this economic control. That's why there's often arguments in Europe, and especially the French, they get incredible subsidies for their farmland. And the amount of wasted food that we could produce and take to the areas in the world in need, and we can do it now. We've got the transport systems to carry food, cheap food, all the way around the world, but because of greed and economic avarice, this food is hoarded, wasted. People are paid not to produce food when children are dying in poverty and starvation in areas of the world. And it's on a scale as the earth grows in population. Again, the birth pangs, you hear of horrendous localized times in history of scarcity. And, but, but right now, the, the intensity of what can happen in various places... And, and even the charities and world charities talk about how little people know about what's going on in far-flung places of the world. So, so famines. Now, the fourth seal. In verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and hunger, with death, and by the beasts of, um, of the earth. And seal four seems to be speaking of an increase in death, in violence, and in murder. In Mark chapter 13, verse 12, which also records what Jesus is saying that we've been reading in Matthew. Mark chapter 13, verse 12, puts it a little bit better. Mark 13, 12. Now, brother will betray brother to death, and the father his child. And children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you'll be hated by all my namesake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. This is talking about an increase in violence. It's also talking that in the end times, there will be an increase in persecution. Again, there's been periods of persecution right throughout church history. I mean, you can go and get yourself uh, one of the most, well, the most popular Christian book after the Bible. Does anybody know what it is? Fox's Book of Martyrs. 
has been the, the most bought book, Christian book after the Bible, Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is a record of people dying for their faith right up to the Reformation period. And so we know that great persecutions have taken place throughout church history, but nothing like what is going on today. A lot of it's hidden in Islamic countries. But those of you that have friends and family in Islamic countries know what's going on. Just think about what's going on in places like Nigeria, in places like Indonesia, in places like China. A lot of it is hidden. A lot of it is forgotten. A lot of it doesn't come to um, the media's attention. Why? Because they're not interested in it. But more persecution and more martyrdom takes place on a daily basis today than ever before. You see, the birth pangs getting stronger and more powerful and more frequent, frequent violence, more powerful, more frequent in the world. And then um, seal five. Verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw the altar of souls of those that had been slain for the word and the testimony with which they held. And, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to them, and it was said that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and brethren who would be killed as they were were completed. So the fifth seal is really, I mean, I spoke about it in the fourth, but the fifth seal is really speaking about the martyrdom that, that, that I talk, spoke about. And then we come to the sixth seal. And the sixth seal, the sixth seal brings us um, to the threshold of the time of the great tribulation. Verse 12, Revelation 6, verse 12. I looked when he be opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. And the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, great men, rich men, commanders, mighty men, every slave, every free man hid themselves in caves and in the rocks of the mountains. This sounds a little very much like we were reading in Matthew chapter 24, the time of the tribulation. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Verse 17. So really, the, the sixth seal brings us to the tribulation. And we won't go into it, but the seventh seal um, in chapter 8, the seventh seal, when you open that, it brings the seven trumpets. Okay? Now, I just want to say a few things about the book of Revelation because we've just seen very briefly, and remember, this, these are introductory sessions. One of the things that I wanted to do with you in the end times is just give you some basics so that when you start to hear, when you buy a book in the bookshop or you're watching Christian TV and they start to talk about famines and wars and you think, well, what are they on about? Scarcity and, and, and economic breakdown and all these things. And you think, and they're saying, oh, you know, the economy's being shaken. It's a sign of the end times. And you're going, is it? Where did they get that from? Where did they get these wars from? Where did they get the gospel having to be preached to every tribe and nation? Why are these things significant? Well, now you'll know, won't you? You'll know. You'll think, oh, I can go to um, Matthew chapter 24, and I can also 
go to Revelation chapter 6. And that's a good starting place. And then when they go a lot deeper into some of these things, well, you can go as deep as you want, can't you? And I'm, I'm just giving you the basics so that you can figure out why people are saying these things. Because as I said last week, a lot of times preachers, especially American preachers, assume that you have studied the end times. And so they make statements that they don't back up because they expect you to have already know where these passages come. And you just sort of like, well, take it for granted that, that well, I guess it's true. So th this is where a lot of this comes from. But the sixth seal brings us to a whole chapter, chapter 7. And that chapter 7 is very important because it's sort of an interlude. It's an inter inter interruption. We've got the sixth seal. And the sixth seal is pretty frightening, isn't it? I mean, we've gone through, just wait till we get to the uh, trumpets and bowls. Aren't you glad that God never pours out his wrath on his children? So you don't have to worry about any wrath being poured out on you. Yes, we understand that we might be uh, given the dignity of persecution for his name's sake, which will bring us great glory in the age to come, but God will never pour out wrath on his children. So you don't have to worry about wrath coming on you when you read these things. But even still, these horses and these seals are pretty strong, aren't they? And we could spend a lot of time recognizing and, and looking at history and looking at what's going on in the world and, and saying, can we see these horses? Can we see these seals in what's going on in the world? But the, but the sixth seal, the last question in verse 17 is, who's able to stand? It's the time of tribulation. Who's able to stand? And you might read Revelation 6, and at the end of it you think, oh my God, it's over, it's finished, it's, it's all going to be terrible. It's, oh, I feel a bit depressed, I feel a bit concerned. Who's going to be able to stand? Well, Revelation chapter 7 tells us, you'll be able to stand. The church will be able to stand. The redeemed will be able to stand. Victory is coming. And so the whole of chapter 7, I'm not going to go into it, but it talks about God's people. Chapter, in verse 3 and 4, it speaks about God's people being sealed, protected from the things that are going to come. Now you say, well, who are these people that are protected? Well, it all depends on the way that you read Revelation. When it speaks about these 144,000 are going to be sealed. Jehovah's Witnesses take it so literally that they believe only 144,000 people are going to go to heaven. Not 144,001. That's how literal they take it. And one of the things that you will learn as you study the book of Revelation is a lot of it depends on how much you take literally and how much you take symbolically. All right? So most of the questions of understanding the book of Revelation is, What's literal, what's picture language, what's symbolic, and what's absolute fact? And that, that's the big thing that, that, that we need to do when we handle it. And, 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 and so some people say, oh, it's only 100. Some people say, this is the nation of Israel. Well, the tribe of Dan isn't there. This is the nation of Israel. This is when the church is raptured and Israel is left on the earth. So they don't take it literally enough to be 144,000 only, but they say, ah, the tribes, they'll take that literally. It's tribes, it's Israel. Others, including myself, believe that this is symbolic of God's people that are on the earth today. 
Believing Jews and believing Christians. This is God's people. This is the symbol of wholeness, 144,000, that God's people, whoever they are going to be, and we may disagree on our end times as we go on, and that's, that, that's all right. It's okay for you to be wrong. But as we go through this time, we will see that, that God's people, whoever they are, has a special protection. And that's what the book of Revelation wants to say here. And then at the end of it, you get this picture of verse 9 of a great multitude of every tribe and people and tongue standing before the Lamb and praising the Lord. And verse 16, there'll never be hunger anymore, no thirst. The sun shall not strike them. The Lamb is with them. He'll wipe away every tear. So what a wonderful chapter Revelation chapter 7 is. That in this revelation, although John is beginning to tell us the end times, the age of the seals, and the birth pangs that will bring Jesus back, he still has a note of victory and encouragement because the church's finest hour will be just before the Lord returns. Because the Bible teaches us that Jesus is coming back for his bride. And that bride is going to be in the church is going to be in all her glory. There's going to be no spot, no wrinkle. He's coming back for a glorious church. And like Derek Prince said, when he was asked about the end times, about how things would get worse and what would happen, he said, this thing I know, the darkness will get darker, but the light will get brighter. And thank God I'm a child of the light. Well, I'm going to give you five minutes just in case you have a f um, some questions about some of the things that I've taught today. Um, if you've got a question, um, get, get a microphone out there. Just lift your hand. If it's something I'm going to look at in the future, I might defer your question. But has anyone got a question? Just lift your hand. Anyone? You don't have to have a question, but it's an opportunity. Anybody? It is all so crystal clear that everybody knows exactly what... <laughs> right, just, just sometimes it takes a while for someone to take up some courage. Anyone? No question is a silly question. And even if it is, I wouldn't say it was. So, no. All right. Well, that's been some simple teaching, but the thing is about the end times is that it can get terribly complex when you hear people preaching about it, you watch it on TV, and you get books on it. So one of the things I want to do is try and give you a clarity of thought so that when people teach deeper things in the end times, you'll be able to place it somewhere and say, all right, I know where that comes from. That comes from Matthew. That comes from Revelation. Next week, we're going to talk about um, the the time of the tribulation, which is the next part in end times, in God's end times clock. Remember, we're in the time of the birth pangs, we're in the time of the trumpets, but in the end times, there's going to be a revelation of the Antichrist, there's going to be the judgments on the earth, there's going to be the great tribulation, we're going to look at the rapture, and we're going to continue with that. God bless you all.